Good morning. Hey, it is great to be with you here on this rather warm June morning. My name is uh, Jesse. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist Jacksonville. If you do know me, still Jesse. Uh, hasn't changed. Um, but hey, glad you guys are with us this morning. I'm filling in for, for Dr. Derek as he, as he and a lot of our church members are doing great kingdom work down in Honduras. Uh, so please make sure you're praying for them this week. It's great to see updates that they arrived safely yesterday. I know they got to the airport really early yesterday morning. Um, and I'm sure today is the first day of really ministry work that they'll be doing. So please, um, as you think about it, keep them in your prayers um, as they serve God diligently down in South America. Um, so again, thank you for being here. Um, we are continuing our series called Summer by the Sea. And so what we've been doing is we really, um, really started last week, but what we're going to be doing this summer is we're going to be looking at Jesus' ministry by the Sea of Galilee. What we know as, as his Galilean ministry, so the different conversations he had, different events that he did, different miracles that he performed during his time in his early ministry at the Sea of Galilee. And so that's what we're doing. And so today we'll be in John chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open those up uh, to John chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning as we kind of walk through a passage to see what God can teach us based upon something that Jesus did that was incredible in Cana. So my dad missed a wedding ceremony that he was supposed to officiate. I was in high school at the time. It was right around this time of year, so it was prime wedding season. So a lot of different people were getting married. In fact, a guy that I played baseball with, his sister was actually getting married the following Saturday after this couple. So a lot of people getting married during this time, just like, just like now. And so the week before that, my dad was actually out of town. He was in the process of getting his doctorate. And so one of the requirements of his program is he had to travel up to Louisville, where he was going to school, for a week in the summer, do some classwork there, and then travel down. So it was something he had to do. He couldn't get out of it. And so even though this wasn't perfect timing for my dad to perform this wedding, he really wanted to do it. The daughter was a daughter of some friends of him and my mom. And so even though this was a little bit inconvenient, he definitely wanted to be a part of this on one condition. If they were okay with him not making it to the rehearsal dinner. And they were. They were fine. And so on that Friday, he traveled back down to Atlanta from Louisville, spent the night at our house, and then woke up that Saturday excited and ready to get this couple hitched. And so him and my mom, early that afternoon, they get into a car, and they travel to the wedding venue. But when they get there, they notice something really strange. Even though they expected the parking lot to be packed out, there was barely anybody there. And so they kind of pulled in and they parked. And as they did, there was a car near them of a couple who they knew, a couple whose daughter was actually in the wedding. And so they get out of the car and they look over at this couple and they say, hey, where, where is everybody? And it was then that my dad realized that he had really messed up. Because they told him that the wedding ceremony was already over. And the reason they missed it was because they had the time of the wedding wrong. See, my mom had had so many conversations with that guy's mom that I played baseball with. The one whose daughter was getting married right around the same time as this couple. And so because my mom had had so many of these conversations, 
she assumed that the time of that wedding was the same time as the wedding of this couple my dad was supposed to officiate. And because my mom is the one who usually keeps the schedule for my parents, she didn't check the time that she had in her head with the time that was on the invitation until it was too late. And so you can imagine my parents were, I mean, they felt horrible. They felt so horrible. I'm sure they were extremely embarrassed because of what had happened. And they actually did something that I don't know if I would have been brave enough to do. They went to the reception. <laughs> they, they decided to, you know, why, why stop when you, can, when you get free food? So uh, they, <laughs> they went to the wedding, uh, and we went to the reception. And, and fortunately, when they got there, uh, they were very, very understanding. Both the daughter's parents and the couple um, the good news was, is the person who they had asked to do the rehearsal the night before was actually at the wedding. So he was able to step up. He was able to do the ceremony. So they had somebody who was there who could do it. And so because of that, they avoided what could have been a disaster. But let's be honest. There is no way that that bride and her family are going to ever forget what happened. I mean, they are, there's no way that they're going to ever forget that the officiate to their wedding didn't show up. That something went horribly and terribly wrong. And it had the potential to ruin everything on that day. And as we open the page of scripture and we look at John chapter 2, what we're going to look at today is another wedding where something went horribly and terribly wrong. Something that also had the potential to ruin everything that was happening on that day. And we're going to look at a story that many of us in this room have heard before, have read before, have heard preached before. But what I want us to do today is I want us to look at the story from a perspective that we probably haven't considered much before. And hopefully by doing that, we can look at this very familiar story with very fresh eyes. So let's look at John chapter 2 and see what God can teach us today in his word. So John chapter 2, we'll have the verses on the screen that you can follow along with if you don't have your Bible with you. But let's begin reading in John chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. So we know a few people who made this wedding's guest list. We have Jesus, we have several of his disciples who he met three days earlier, and we also have Jesus' mother Mary. Now, weddings in this day were a lot different than weddings today. First of all, weddings didn't just last a few hours. Instead, wedding celebrations could last as long as a week during this time. And another thing that's different is instead of the bride's parents being the one who are responsible for paying for everything, in this day, that was actually the groom's job. He was the one who was responsible for providing the food and the drink at this week-long celebration which is important to know based upon what happens next. Because when Jesus and his disciples are hanging out at the wedding, his mother approaches him and tells him about something that has gone wrong. And that's what we see in verse 3. It says, When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. So, G so Mary finds out this insider information about what's kind of happening behind the scenes. And she comes to Jesus about this because this is a massive problem. This is something that has the potential to ruin this entire wedding. 
But if we're honest, when we look at this passage, it's a little bit of a disconnect here, isn't there? It's a little bit of a disconnect because it's really hard for us to see the weight of what's happening in this situation. Because it's, it's just a totally different culture than ours. Right? Today, if we show up at a wedding, this isn't something that's expected to be there. This isn't a wedding staple that we expect to see at all the weddings that we go to. And so because of that, we see this happening in our minds. It doesn't really seem like it's that big of a deal. Because, again, this isn't our culture. So for us, this doesn't seem like a reason to panic at all. But in this day, this definitely would have been a reason to panic. And so to help kind of bridge this culture gap, I want you to imagine that you're at a wedding next Saturday. And you're at the reception, you're having a good time. And somebody walks up and they tell you that the father of the bride made a really big mistake. In his excitement, when he was planning the caterer, he got the day of the wedding confused with the day that the couple got engaged about a year earlier. Which means the caterers are going to show up in about two weeks. And so you hear this, and of course you're immediately trying to find the father of the bride to kind of, to kind of see what he's doing. And when you find him, he's freaking out. You can physically see him panicking. Because there's 300 people sitting in a room who were promised a four-course meal in their invitation. 300 people who made their dinner plans around being at this event. But he messed up. And now there's no food for them to eat. That's the significance of what's happening in this story. That is what's going on when Mary comes and approaches Jesus. But in our story, it's not the father of the bride who's to blame for what's happening. Instead, it's the groom. Because as we talked about, he is the one who's supposed to be providing the drinks. He's the one who's supposed to make sure that things like wine don't run out. Now, unfortunately, we aren't told why this happens. Maybe it's because the groom didn't have enough money to throw the type of wedding that his bride really wanted him to. But he just didn't have the heart to tell her. Or maybe he procrastinated and got lazy and, and didn't properly plan for the amount of people who showed up on this big day. We don't know. But what we do know is this. This groom has messed up. And in this moment, he feels so embarrassed. He feels like a failure. Because he lit down the person who he had just promised to spend the rest of his life with. He had just lit down the person who he loves more than anybody else. And he let her down so much that this was actually grounds for her family to sue him. That's how big of a deal this was. That's the significance of what's happening in this one verse. And that's why Mary has come to Jesus. Because this groom has messed up. This groom has failed. He has not done what he is supposed to do. And he is starting off his marriage by letting down his bride. And even though we can't understand what's happening in this situation because we've never gone through something specifically like this, we can understand the emotions and the feelings that this groom is experiencing right here and right now. 
Because what's happening in the background of this story so often happens in the forefront of our lives. We all mess up. And we know what it's like to let somebody down because we messed up. Like our kid who we promised to take to that event. That kid who begged us for weeks to take them to this place that all their friends were going to be at. And even though we said we would, by the time it came around, we didn't. Because work has been crazy and we just needed a, just a night to ourselves. Or our spouse who was excited about spending a wedding anniversary with us. And we had big plans to take her to a really nice restaurant. But on that day, we had somebody who was kind enough to give us a gift card. And so instead of taking her there, we decided to take her to a restaurant where it's acceptable to throw peanut shells on the ground. And even though we were young and naive and inexperienced as a husband, it's amazing how that shame continues to follow, <laughs> which may or may not be a story to my life. Um, but we know what that's like. Or what it's like to let down our parents. Because they told us that we could hang out with those people that they'd never met before. They allowed us to do that. But even though they trusted us, we broke that trust. Because we did some stuff that night that we know wasn't wise and we know we shouldn't have. But we did. And now they're not mad at us anymore. They're just really, really disappointed. We all know what this is like. We all know what it is like to let somebody down. What it's like to be this groom. To do something. Do something to hurt somebody else. And we wish that we could take it back. In fact, I think that is what makes letting somebody down so disappointing. Is that we can't take it back. Excuse me, so disheartening is that we can't take it back. That's what makes it so hard, is that we can't take it back. In fact, oftentimes, and I would even argue probably always, we don't realize we let somebody down until it's too late for us to change what we've done. Right? My dad didn't realize he let that bride and that groom down until after the ceremony was over, until after he showed up late, when it was too late for him to change anything. We don't realize that we let our spouse down on that anniversary date night until they're giving us the silent treatment as they pick peanut shells out of their shoes. We just don't know, right? In all the situations we find ourselves in, we find out that we let somebody down after the fact. And so what this reminds us of is you only realize you let somebody down when it's too late. That's what we see. This is what this means. We only let somebody down when it's too late. And that is why this is so big. Because if we look at the relationships that we have in our lives with our spouses or our friends or our kids or our parents. The ones that are strained and damaged and broken. The ones that hurt. The reason they're like that is because somebody let somebody else down. Because somebody did or didn't do what somebody else expected them to do. 
And if we're the ones that are at fault, so much of the time, we just wish that we could take it back. And so much of the time, we wish that we could just go back in time and just do something different. To make a different decision, to do something, to take away the pain and the hurt and the brokenness and the damage that was created. But the problem is we can't. Because it's too late. We've already hurt them. We've already created this mess. This mess that's there because we messed up. We have let them down, and it's too late for us to take it back. And as the groom in our story sits here at his wedding celebration, this is where he finds himself. He finds himself in a too late moment. He's messed up, and it's too late for him to take it back. And Mary understands this, which is why she comes to Jesus asking him for help, asking him to do something in this situation. And then we continue to read. This is what we see Jesus says and how he responds. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So basically, how Jesus responds here is he looks at Mary and he says, why are you getting me involved with this? And so it looks like, and it appears that Jesus is a little bit annoyed that his mom is coming to him and trying to take advantage of his usefulness. Of the fact that she knows he's obviously somebody special. And even though he seems like he's a little bit annoyed here, I think what's important is that he does do something. He decides to help. And so Mary turns to the servants and she says, hey, do whatever he asks you to do. Now, I don't think that Mary here expected to see what's coming, right? We, we know, we know Jesus, we know the Gospels, we know what he's capable of doing, but I just think that she expected him to help. I don't think she expected him to do a miracle. Because based upon verse 11 that we read earlier, this appears to be the first time Jesus ever does one. Right? The first sign that he's ever done that points to the fact that he is the Son of God. So I just think she wants Jesus to help this groom. She wants Jesus to help this person who's in this too late moment. And I'm sure our groom would take any help that he can get in this desperate situation. So we continue to read in verse 6. We see what Jesus does to help this guy out. It says, Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Now, if you're the groom and you're watching this situation unfold, you're watching Jesus take these six big jars that were usually used for religious purposes, and you're seeing him put water into this, I can't imagine this is a very encouraging sight. Because the problem isn't that you don't have water. The problem is that you don't have wine. And Jesus doesn't appear to be doing something to help you. Uh, This would be like somebody trying to solve the problem with 300 people hungry at a reception by asking for the communion bread to be cut into pieces. You know, it's like, hey man, I understand where your heart's at, but I'm gonna be honest, I don't really see where your head is right now. I'm not really picking up on what you're doing in this situation. I'm sure he was really confused on what Jesus was doing. And to make an anxious man even more nervous, look what Jesus says next. 
And he said to them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. So after Jesus puts water into these big containers, he then tells the servant to scoop it up and to take it to this very important person called the master of the feast. This person was like the MC of the wedding celebration. It was his job to make sure that things ran smoothly. So certainly somebody you want to impress, right? Certainly somebody who has the capability of letting everybody know how you messed up if he doesn't like what he's about to taste. So imagine how long you'd be holding your breath if you were the groom watching him take a sip of this drink. But in the midst of all of this happening, there's no way the groom saw what was happening next. Because he didn't realize who was the one that stepped in to help in this too late moment. Because this is what we read next. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. And did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. If we understand what is happening in this moment, this is absolutely incredible. This is amazing. Because when the bridegroom, if you're him and you're getting asked to come over to this master of the feast, you're expected to be ridiculed. You're expecting him to shame you because you didn't do what all grooms are supposed to do. Which was to provide enough wine for his guest. But instead of being ridiculed in this moment, he is praised. In this moment, applauded. Because this groom does what no grooms ever do. He waits until the good wine, or he waits to serve the good wine at the end. So even though this groom expected things to play out much differently, a disaster was completely avoided because Jesus showed up. Because Jesus stepped into this situation and undid what this groom had done. Even though he had messed up, even though he had let his bride down, Jesus stepped in and he redeemed this mess. Jesus stepped in and performed a miracle. And when you look out throughout the pages of Scripture, what you see is that is exactly what a miracle is. A miracle is God miraculously redeeming a mess. I mean, it's God redeeming the mess that death brought to Lazarus and his family by giving the guy life again. It's God redeeming the mess that a disease brought a blind man by giving him his sight. And it's even God redeeming the mess that sin brought into this world by resurrecting his son from the grave. 
so that you and I sitting in this room could know him and love him and walk with him and spend eternity with him in heaven. A miracle is God redeeming a mess. And what I love about so many miracles that we see in the Bible is that they happen in two late moments. They happen when all hope seems to be lost. They happen when everything seems to be just too far gone. Because the wine at the wedding had already run out. Lazarus was already rotting in his grave. The blind man had already been blind since birth. And Jesus had already been gone for three days. But in the midst of the moment, God steps up and he redeems a mess even when it feels like it's too late. And that is the hope that all of us can take away from this passage. That's the hope that we can find ourselves living in in our lives is if we are in a relationship that is damaged or strained or broken because we messed up, because we let somebody down, because we weren't the child or the parent or the spouse or the friend or the whatever that we're supposed to be, all hope is not gone. Because just like in this story, Jesus can redeem the mess. Jesus can perform a miracle. Jesus can show up in the midst of our situation and do something that we can never do and to undone what we've already done. And so the hope that we see in this passage the hope that all of us can walk away from regardless of the situations and the relationships that we find ourselves in is that miracles live in too late moments. If you feel like your situation is just too far gone, you feel like it's just too late for where you are in that relationship, the beauty of this passage is that it's not. It's not too late. Because miracles live in too late moments. And we just have to ask God to do a miracle in our life. And so that's my challenge for you. As we wrap up and as we walk away from this place, my challenge for all of us in this room is to ask for a miracle. Because if we're honest, that's not something that we usually do. I mean, if you're like me, I'm not oftentimes asking for a miracle. I'm not asking God to redeem the messes in my life. Because I feel like that's my job. But this story at this wedding in Cana shows us that we can ask God to redeem our messes. We can ask him to step up in situations even when it seems like it's too late. And so that's my challenge for all of us is to ask for a miracle. Ask God to show up in that relationship that's broken or strained or damaged. Ask him to bring healing where you've brought hurting. Ask him to redeem the mess. Ask for a miracle, because miracles live in too late.